0: Hey everybody, how y'all doing? I'm Michael, I'm joined by Alex as always. How's it going? And we're here with another episode of Falling Through Plot Holes, a podcast about video game plot lines, and how they have the tendency to go off the rails. Alex, how are you doing this morning?
1: I'm doing good. I'm, I got my coffee. Uh, it is currently around 11 in the morning and uh, mornings when we record this podcast is generally the earliest I tend to wake up on the weekends. Which leads to a productive day, more or less.
0: That's good. That's good. As I try to remain silent while my dog freaks out in the background. <laughs> As dogs do. Indeed, indeed. She is a wonderful dog and she has a, a tendency to to pipe up at the most opportune of times. But yeah. um <laughs> But yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I'm glad you're ready to have a have a nice productive day. You got your coffee. I wish mm-hmm. I had coffee right now, but I've mm-hmm. already had three cups. So
1: ah, uh, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's enough.
0: That's probably enough. It's it's wonderful being a nurse and developing a bad coffee addiction. Yeah. But you know, Alex, you know mm-hmm. what else I also like.
1: Mm-hmm. I like movies. Do you like movies? I do like movies. How, how about video game movies? Hmm. I feel like there was one that I liked. <laughs> Alright. The, the the You know, I didn't hate the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider movie, the first one. I yeah, no, I saw
0: that in theaters with my dad and I, I remember enjoying that quite a bit. Uh I, I saw the most recent Sonic the Hedgehog, the the oh, second yeah. one. That that yeah. one was fun. Yeah, perfectly serviceable kids movie. Yeah. Yep. Perfectly fine. But um uh, yeah. Uh, what's um? What's the worst movie you've seen? Worst video game movie?
1: Oh, Blood Rain by oh, yeah. Uwe
0: I Actually watched Blood Ra- Man.
1: Yeah. Oh boy, I wish I hadn't. Oh, that movie is completely without redeeming qualities.
0: Oh man, I've always wanted to watch like Uwe um, uh, Postal, just yeah, to see I've how that one.
1: I heard that one wasn't the worst.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I heard it's like wow, he actually did satire.
1: Yeah, and it's like, huh?
0: I d- did not think he was capable of it. Amazing, but yeah, I, I, video game movies are, on the whole, kind of terrible. But that's kind of the problem, as because as video games became more popular and more profitable in the '80s and '90s, mm-hmm. like it kind of only made sense that media companies and movie companies were who are like desperate for like new hits and big profits would seek to license like various gaming franchise in an attempt to bring them to the silver screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we just alluded to, most of them are terrible. Yeah. Uh, Alex, what do you think's the first video game movie to exist?
1: Let's see. I know Super Mario Bros. was pretty early. Mm-hmm. And that was before Double Dragon. I'm trying to remember if there was one before that. I mean, it's like straight up adaptation of a video game, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you would be correct. It's Super Mario Brothers. Okay. Uh, the 1993 movie. A rare collaboration between Disney and Nintendo, by the way. Or a Disney subsidiary, I guess, mm. would be more accurate. Right. Uh, this movie, a walking acid trip of bad decisions, drunk stars, <laughs> and insane liberties taken with the Mario license, was a commercial and critical failure. One that I own three copies of.
1: Oh, uh, my God.
0: Enough that you, yeah, I, the whole idea was it was going to be a joke that I was going to give it away to my friends before I moved away from my hometown. And uh-huh. then I forgot, and now mm. I own three copies of the movie, so joke's on me, I guess. I guess so. Uh, the person at GameStop uh, was very confused when I bought all three <laughs> copies. So yeah, complete failure, enough that you think it would kill the very idea of the video game movie. However, Alex, Hollywood has never met a bad idea it didn't like, mm-hmm. and so they continue to pump out terrible movie after terrible movie. Yep. Yeah. So, Alex, I have a list of all the video game movies ever released, and I'm just going to mention a few of them going in chronological order. Okay. All right, so we got, obviously, Super Mario Brothers in 1993. Then uh, you got Double Dragon in 94, Street Fighter in 94, Mortal Kombat in 95, a Wing Commander movie in 1999. <laughs> I did oh, watch that thanks. one. That one's fun. It is fun. Star- oh, no, I was about to say stars Mark Hamill, but he did the voices in Wing Commander. He wasn't actually yes. in that movie.
1: yes. Uh, would have been better if he was
0: would have been yes uh, the aforementioned Laura Croft Tomb Raider movie uh, that starred Andy Julia Jolie it actually kind of like, I wouldn't say it like made her an A-list star but it definitely mm. kickstarted her career as like an action star Yeah. Uh, Resident Evil uh, and like it goes on like there's Doom uh-huh. in 2005 the, oh, Rocks, th- the movie starring The Rock oh god Doom oh man and like it, it gets only worse from there. There's Prince of Persia, the Sands of Time in 2010, Hitman Agent 47 in 2015.
1: Uh, now I forgot about the Hitman movies. Oh yes, they they tried multiple times. They now, did, and they're both terrible.
0: They are both terrible. Now, here's the thing about those movies, Alex. What do you think is the first one to have like to be considered like overall a good movie? Like, um, critical reception, I should say. I've,
1: I've never watched it, but I hear the first Mortal Kombat is really good. You see, you would think that.
0: And I think for most people, like, like just your average everyday person, mm. I think they would agree with that. According to Rotten Tomatoes, who's a ratings aggregator, uh, they basically take positive and negative reviews. And the more positive reviews, the more likely it's going to have, like, a fresh rating. A fresh rating mm-hmm. being a rating of over 60% of favorable reviews. Mm-hmm. The first one to be over 60% was 2019's Detective Pikachu with a rating of 68%. Oof. Yes. Yeah, so there's a few reasons you could point to as to why there are all sorts of like terrible, like all these terrible movies. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to posit two things. One, video games are naturally a bad fit for movies. At least early on, like 80s and Mm -hmm. 90s. When their stories were at best slight, at worst non-existent, and their visual language simply couldn't be adapted easily to animation, let Mm. alone live action. Like, think about the Pac-Man cartoon and, like, how that's just, like, a weird fever dream of (laughs) Pac-Man living in, I guess, a suburban America where he has a job, but occasionally he just gets harassed by ghosts. (laughs) Yeah. Like... And number two, these movies were made for kids. And what I mean that not that like movies made for kids can't be good. Like obviously mm. Pixar's Toy Story is a classic movie, right? Right. But that sometimes movies made for kids are treated less seriously in all facets of production. Mm-hmm. Less care is yep. given to them, leading to an inferior product. So I think part of that second point can also be attributed to the fact that a lot of these, if not all movies, were licensed. The idea being that... Another company went and approached, you know, Nintendo and was like, hey, you know, you can have some say over this, but we're otherwise going to be the ones doing this, right? Uh-huh. So only cursory involvement was made with by the parent company.
1: Yeah, that, that definitely seems like a contributing factor. I wonder what it would be like if the parent company was heavily involved in the movie's development.
0: Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> Sip? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, while video game movies nowadays seem to have found their niche, back in the 90s and early 2000s, they were still trying to figure things out. But regardless, they weren't exactly the most serious creative products out there.
2: That is, until
0: a little Japanese company, buoyed by an extreme amount of success in the 90s, decided, (laughs) decided they are not only going to give it a go, but do it completely themselves, only relying on a distributor to actually get this movie in theaters. I am, of course talking about the one and only film from Square Pictures, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Oh, no. Alex, I decided to rewatch this movie last week after seeing it for the first time in theaters when I was
1: 14, I believe. Mm, Sounds about about right, yeah. Yeah, 2001 is when it came
0: out. Uh, Have you
1: seen this movie? I have exactly once in 2001, Mm -hmm. yes.
0: Yeah yeah that's really the only time you need to see it yeah it is uh it's not a good movie no it's, it is a very very serious movie
1: too yes uh, it it is far more serious than any of the games i would say
0: yeah actually yes there is not a joke to be cracked in there and the times the when they attempt to like, do jokes in there do not work yeah no it is one of the most stilted movies as far as dialogue and script. It, it is, but it's also the most video game of video game movies. Like, literally, it is mm. a video game plot that goes on in there, as we'll get to in a bit. Yeah. But yeah, it, The Spirits Within is, to this day, maybe the still most ambitious video game film ever made. And is in yeah. running for one of the most ambitious 3D animated films ever.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'll give it that for sure.
0: Alex, this movie had a budget of $137 million in 2001
1: money. Yeah, that's that's a pricey tag.
0: Yeah. it's the It was the most expensive video game movie ever until 2010's Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, which had a, a $200 million budget. But here's the thing. If you adjust for inflation, uh, inflation by uh, 2022 standards, uh, it still is the winner at uh, 282 a half million dollars <laughs> and i think sands of time i don't have it written down here but i think it was <laughs> around 250 so still more expensive
1: I, i'm gonna be honest i saw sands of time i'm not sure what about that movie was that expensive
0: <laughs> i saw i saw that movie in theaters and i was like well no i did not see it i saw that it was in theaters and i went uh, um,
1: you cannot get me in there i you you made the right decision
0: I will not fall for this. I don't care if Jake Gyllenhaal's lead. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, it was a remarkable, like, undertaking by Square, a Japanese company famous for RPGs that, just 10 years prior to starting development on The Spirits Within, wasn't exactly on the most solid financial footing. Like, Mm -hmm. they have a meteoric rise in that 10 years. Yep. Now, they were being the primary bankrollers on one of the most expensive movies upon release in 2001. And I do mean one of the most expensive movies. Like, uh, Contemporary releases that year include Monsters, Inc., Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and even the first Lord of the Rings film. Mm. All three of those movies, if I remember correctly, did not exceed $100 million in budget. Wow. Yeah, right? In fact, the only film that was more expensive to make that year was the incredibly bad Pearl Harbor film starring Ben Affleck. Uh. And even then, only $3 million more expensive at $140 million. Yeah, so once again, meteoric rise in ambition for a company that, once again, was not doing hot financially in 1987 when the movie's namesake came out, Final mm-hmm. Fantasy, for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, Alex, I'm going to spoil a few things. Okay. Uh, this movie is an incredible flop. Like, one of the biggest box office busts of all time level. Like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's multiple lists that we'll list in as top 10. Like, CNBC from a list back in 2015, I think, had it rated number 9 overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think CNET had a, had a list where it was number four. And it sort of makes sense when the movie only makes roughly about $87 million at the box office. Yeah. Mm. Oof. And mind you, that uh, 137000000 million doesn't count the amount it took to actually establish the studio, which we'll get into a little bit. So, <laughs> Or marketing yeah. or anything like that. So everybody from Square to the um, uh, distributors of the film, Columbia Pictures, uh, all lost a ton of money on this, and it's going to cause a lot of problems for Square and a lot of people at the top of the, the food chain. And once again, we're going to get to here in a bit. Yeah. And you'll understand also, once I explain the production and plot of this movie, because, oh boy. But I do have to give credit to Square for one thing. From start to finish, they did something no other movie company did with a video game license. They took this film with an almost deadly level of seriousness from start to finish mm-hmm they took this film with it like at zero point do they half-ass it or get lazy right there's like there's not a single second they aren't 100 percent on board mm-hmm. and that not only includes the production but also the plot as well It is a very serious movie to a fault and it wants the viewers to know even when it tries to make jokes that hey we're very very much have a message to say here mm-hmm. it is the overly brooding theater kid from high school of
1: films yeah yeah, that's, that's accurate.
0: hmm Now, we usually go lightly into development of a game where we talk about, like, how it influenced the actual writing uh, mm-hmm. on this podcast. But with this, we kind of have to go a little bit deeper because... Yeah. Uh, we obviously not only have to talk about the movie's namesake. Uh, we also kind of have to talk about the production because they have some ideas about where your 3D CGI movies are going to go. Mm-hmm. That is kind of insane and very oh, wrong.
1: Oh, God, I forgot about that part. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: So let's start with that development. So Spirits Within started development in 1997, a very important year for Square. Because that's the same year that a little game called Final Fantasy VII came out. Uh, that came out in January 31st of that year in Japan. Now, we have talked about it a little bit before on this podcast in our Final mm-hmm. Fantasy X episode, and I think one other as well. Uh, but in short, Final Fantasy VII is one of the biggest games of all time. Yeah. Uh, not just for Square, but gaming in general. Like It sold 6 million copies by the following year. It established Final Fantasy in North America is more than just like, a well-regarded but niche role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, it became a cultural phenomenon and inspired other companies to get in on the RPG market. At the very least, to bring their games over to their Western Hemisphere, if not developed exclusively for it, like your Legend of Dragoons and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, perhaps most importantly to our story, though, is as one of the first big examples of CGI graphics being used for cutscenes. To establish large scale scenes full of spectacle and action, like to help wow players and be like, hey, look at how cool and just grand and epic our adventure is, right? Mm hmm. Now, this is something that was difficult to do with RPGs before, on like the Super Nintendo or Genesis. You just, first off, you had cartridge space that was limited. These games were already big and encompassing as is, so any sort of cutscenes that are in there were usually very, very simple. Right. Now, cutscenes in this game and subsequent follow ups, such as Final Fantasy VIII, established Square as somebody who can make incredibly beautiful and intricate cutscenes without any sort of difficulty at all. Like, that was probably, like, the one thing, like, a lot of trade magazines in North America would talk about. Like, man, mm-hmm. look at these. Like, if there's ever any preview coverage of any Final right. Fantasy or Square game, you could bet that whatever their fancy CGI opening was, it was going to get front page.
1: Yep, absolutely. And for good reason. It looked really good. It they looked amazing, especially from, like, 8 onward. 7, they were very much still hmm. grappling with the techniques and technology.
2: Yeah, but still like, finding your feet.
1: Yeah, but like by the time they hit 8, they were freaking going.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the opening uh, cutscene to Final Fantasy VIII is still uh, basically imprinted on my mind forever. Mm-hmm. I will forget everything else but that. <laughs> yeah. That and the Pac-Lan theme music for some well, reason. yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a man of priorities is what I'm trying to say. Right, right, of course. So with all of this, Square was flushed with cash, success, and prestige, and it only made sense to Square that they would try their hand at other projects. Or at least, it made sense to one man, series creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi. Uh, are you familiar with good old Sakaguchi?
1: I am, yes. I, I have followed his works with some interest. Indeed. I bet you have. I bet you have.
0: I like Sakaguchi an awful lot. He seems like a very laid-back dude. He does, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he's also going to get in a little over his head here.
1: Yeah, he, he's also occasionally <laughs> ambitious in ill-advised ways.
0: Yes, very much so. Um, and this is going to be a story, essentially, of how <laughs> he goes about that. And we don't have time to really get deeply into his life and career and whatnot. Mm. Uh, a very interesting life and career, I must, I must say. Right. But we should at least touch upon him a little bit, and Square, and Final Fantasy in general. So, in short, he was hired in 1983 at Square back when it wasn't even known as Square. Like, Square did not become an official Andy until 1986. Oh, okay. Yeah, because in 83, it was actually a weird subsidiary of an electric power conglomerate called Denyusha, which is kind of funny given the plot of Final Uh Fantasy VII. Yeah,
1: it is a little.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And what I'm sure is a very relatable story, the owner of said company had a son by the name of Masafumi Miyamoto, who wasn't interested in taking over the family business and just kind of wanted to make video games. Mm. So his dad did want him to be involved in some way, though, and so he just made a subsidiary that was going to be dedicated to video games and put him in charge.
2: But, All right, fair
1: enough. Yeah,
0: you know, once again, very relatable. Uh-huh. Now, now for the first three years of this company, it was run um about as well as you could think for a company that was just <laughs> kind of handed off to the son of a uh, of a you know owner of, of a corporation. Boss, yeah, yeah, because. Uh, Despite only releasing one mildly successful game, he immediately got, like, ambitious, like, we need to move to, like, these expensive offices in Ginza. Oh, boy. Because we want to appear more affluent, we got to get, like, we got to be, like, really prestigious and whatnot. Uh, this was a move, by the way, that lasted until literally, like, their first rent payment, it seems. Oh, uh, hmm. Because they immediately had to move shortly thereafter to smaller
1: offices. Boy, it is just built into this company's DNA. Mm-hmm
0: to make oh incredibly poor financial decisions with money Uh they don't really have yes just
1: from the start (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's kind of amazing it's it's, their entire life it
0: continues to this very day it's it's wonderful it's wonderful i love square so much (laughs) (laughs) so they're now strapped for cash but sakaguchi who is now the director of development at square uh I would, I would call it a rapid rise in the three years, but there wasn't exactly a whole lot of employees at Square. Right. He, he proposed making an RPG similar to another popular game that had come out recently called Dragon Quest. Mm. Now, Miyamoto agreed to this, provided they only used five staff members because, once again, they couldn't afford anything at this point. <laughs> and so a little game called Final Fantasy came out in 1987, a game that has basically drunk Dungeons & Dragons with the serial numbers filed off to moderate success. hmm and with that, Final Fantasy became their go-to franchise. Now, there's a lot of, you know, apocryphal stories about, you know, Final Fantasy. It was, like, named that because it was, like, the last hurrah of Square. They were going to go bankrupt if it didn't succeed. Right. Uh, there doesn't seem—well, it's unknown if how true exactly that is because Sakaguchi mm-hmm. himself has both confirmed and denied in separate <laughs> interviews
2: that that was true.
0: One thing is consistent, though, is that they were in fi- very dire financial straits. And uh-huh. I, I suspect if this did fail, they probably weren't going to last much longer right but regardless this was successful and he immediately went final fantasy is going to be our go-to franchise yep and you know as the games went on got better got a little less derivative but uh, they eventually began selling incredibly well not only in japan but internationally which led to a great influx of cash and a lot of prestige for sakaguchi who eventually rise to the level of executive vice president in 1991 And this led, of course, to the golden years in the 90s for Square where it seemed like every game they put out, no matter Mm -hmm. how crazy the development um, (laughs) or backwards everything was, was just solid gold success. Critically acclaimed Mm -hmm. games, some of the greatest games of all time.
1: Despite some of them being, like, kind of fundamentally broken?
0: They all were fundamentally broken. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like, a lot of them just have bugs that make the game kind of not work in certain ways.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like... Major things in Secret of Mana to like uh, everything in Final Fantasy VI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of amazing. Like, it's, I actually kind of love those games because of that, because you could break them yeah. in so many dumb ways. But yeah, yeah, yeah uh, there was not exactly a whole lot of QA going on in <laughs> no, Square at the time. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> so, his final director role, because uh, he was director on the first five Final Fantasy games, but his final mm. one is going to be 1992's Final Fantasy V. And while he would spearhead multiple other projects like Chrono Trigger and whatnot, Mm -hmm. he mostly left day-to-day duties to other people such as Masato Kado or Yoshinori Katase, uh, the director of Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VII, uh, Mm -hmm. respectively. Then 1997 rolled around and Final Fantasy VII happened. And with the large cash infusion and prestige uh, that just happened to occur with Square right now, uh, this left him in a position to do something outside of his wheelhouse, make a movie. Now, it's unknown if Square management overall wanted to go in this direction. They, they certainly had dabbled in multimedia before, albeit mm-hmm. not with their complete 100% involvement. Uh, there's a sequel to Final Fantasy V, for instance, that's an uh, original video animation in Japan only. Mm. Uh, but they didn't actually make it. Studio Madhouse did. Okay. Uh, so they had like, some areas where they kind of dabbled in it, but they never really put all into this. And it's unknown if like Square Management wanted to go in this direction, or if you know Sakaguchi was the one who was spearheading this. He was certainly powerful mm. enough if he could have. Right. But it ultimately doesn't matter because Sakaguchi immediately decided he's gonna run the entire show. Mm. He's gonna be the director, and as director, he's gonna make all of the decisions. <laughs> A lot of them that are gonna be interesting to say the least. So, in order to facilitate this, because Square decides very early on, they're gonna do everything. They're going to establish a new subsidiary by the name of Square Pictures. The entire purpose is not only making this movie, but others in the future. Like, this is supposed to be an Mm -hmm. ongoing concern. Now, for this movie, Sakaguchi is going to make three critical decisions. The first is it's not going to be a live-action movie, like basically every other Mm -hmm. video game movie, but rather entirely CGI. Two, it's going to be developed entirely by Square in order to retain full control of the project. And three... The movie was going to be made with Western audiences in mind, which meant it needed to be made by a Western staff, which means the studio needed to be located in Hawaii and Sakaguchi would need to relocate to Hawaii, where he still currently lives to this day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's such an amazing, like, train of logic.
2: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, I want this movie to appeal to Western audiences. Therefore, I must move to Hawaii. Yep, exactly, right? Exactly.
0: And it, what's really funny is that this is a trap that a lot of video game companies fall into. Not yeah. like necessarily making movies, but just like making things in general. Yep. Like You can point to Capcom being like, we need Mm-mm. to develop for the
1: Western market. So uh, should you we can fo- point to Inafune being like, we need to develop for the Western market.
0: I mean, to be fair, yes. But... <laughs> <laughs> My point being is that the thought is like, okay, well, do we right. leverage what made us successful and like mm. the things that made us successful in the Western market in the first place? There are Japanese development. Like, right. no, let's move everything to North America because right. they know the and, industry.
1: Yeah. And just make things for what we think Americans and Westerners like. Mm hmm. And like, like, you could. Guns and angry people.
0: Exactly. And like, once again, you can follow the trade of logic, but it's also like, but that's not how you were successful. Right. That's not
1: why people like Final Fantasy.
0: Exactly. And Square is going to make the exact same mistake here.
1: Yeah. And it's sort of weird because, like, the entire push for this is coming out of the success of Final Fantasy VII. And what do people like about Final Fantasy VII? It's got good character writing and people with giant samurai swords.
0: Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: They ain't gonna be a tire sword or spiky hair person in this. Everyone is gonna look <laughs> as Western as hell. It's great.
1: Yeah, that's that's what people liked about Final Fantasy ever. Uh
0: mm-hmm. huh. Oh yeah. No 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 no. They uh they looked at Gray from that movie. He saw his you know his crew cut in military like dress and whatnot, and went yes.
2: Yeah. That's
0: what I'm into. So yeah. Now this third point, by the way, might seem a little bit odd, given that Hawaii was even back then kind of expensive. <laughs> but Square. Yeah, a little bit. Square actually already had a presence in Hawaii already, and would that they would actually later expand to game development, like Final mm. Fantasy IX would be developed there. Okay. And Japan in general actually had a large expat community in Hawaii as well. Like so. Right. It, it there's already some ties there, but regardless, it meant that a new studio that would cost forty five million dollars to establish, <laughs> which is by the way not factored into the budget.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It given most movies around that time were made for about half that amount, they already had quite the hill to climb up in order to make mm-hmm. something profitable. And, like, I'm sure, once again, if, like, if this movie was only slightly unprofitable, you, they could probably look at that and attribute that and be like, no, we should still keep doing this. But right. Once again, big, big flop. Big so,
1: flop. Yeah, it's, it's generally not a good idea to spend $120 million on someone's first film.
0: No, no. Not at all. Yeah, because this, once again, this is going to be his directorial debut. And yeah. spoilers, his last movie he's going to direct. <laughs> <laughs> now, probably a reason why it's going to be his last film to direct, because uh, it, it might seem like a problem that uh, having a mostly English-speaking staff run by a Japanese-speaking man would have a language barrier. Like, you might think, yeah. Yeah, like Sakaguchi does understand a little bit of English, and I don't know how his English from efficiency is now, but he did use a translator back then. Uh-huh. uh he said in an interview, this was to his advantage as, quote, he didn't have to yell directions during production, end quote. Uh. I'm sure that was supposed to be a joke, but right.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it still comes off, um, doesn't yeah, come off great.
1: Yeah, not, not great.
0: So Sakaguchi came up with a basic outline and had two screenwriters, Al Reinert of Apollo 13 fame, uh, so mm-hmm. good, And Mm -hmm. relative unknown Jeff Venter, who would later go on to write 2004's I, Robot, starring Will Smith.
1: Uh, Okay, yeah, I can see that.
0: Yeah, uh, less good. Uh, They collaborated to write the script. Now, there were a lot of changes that would happen to the script, uh, but nothing that would heavily affect production. Because, like animated movies, like traditionally animated movies, Mm -hmm. you can't really reshoot CGI. I mean, you can, but that really adds to the cost. So you kind of want to get things locked down early on. Right. And my understanding is that a lot of the script changes, other than some minor things here and there, did not occur after production like really got started. Mm-hmm. Casting also focused on the American actor first, because once again, they're trying mm-hmm. to appeal to Western audience.: Right. Now, for a lot of these roles, they went with some pretty big name actors. Uh, mm-hmm. You have Alec Baldwin, for instance, who plays the uh, male, read, uh, male lead of uh, Gray. Uh, James Wood. Woods is in there as well. He plays the main villain.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: Donald Sutherland also gets like a prominent role as well.
2: hmm
0: uh, so going with a Hollywood actor rather than traditional voice actor, sort of right. sort of idea here. Uh, however, for the main character, they decide to go with somebody a little more unknown. Though still active as an actor at the time. Mm-hmm. Ming Gua Wen, who at this point was the main character on the hit drama ER, as Dr. Jing Mei Chen. Mm-hmm. And nowadays is currently playing Fennec Shand on The Mandalorian, uh, Boba Fett's right-hand woman. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a very specific reason for this selection, Alex, and that's because she was planned to portray the main character, Aki Ross, in multiple projects. And you might Mm -hmm. think, sequels, right? No. No. (laughs) And this gets to the part where Square has some really interesting ideas of where CGI movies are going to go. Because they had the idea of Aki Ross being played in different productions entirely as something called a digital actress. Alex, have you heard the phrase digital actress before?
1: Yes, from Square and no one else. Oh, huh, weird. Weird.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about that, because boy, it's an idea. Because mm-hmm. this might be the craziest thing about the film. And it's the perception that this character, alongside other characters that they were going to develop, either for this film or for others, were mm-hmm. going to be reused in other projects going forward. Like, nowadays, this is crazy to think about. Because, one, it's CGI. You can do anything.
1: Right. And two— Well— oh, go ahead. It's not that crazy. I mean, Vocaloid still exists.
0: True, Vocaloid does exist. But for most, like, film productions. For, yeah,
1: in general. Hmm. And Vocaloid is a weird thing entirely. Vocaloid is really weird and does not have $120 million for a project normally.
0: No, it does not. So yeah, like, CGI, you could theoretically just do anything. But let's look at the perspective of 1999 and exactly what went into Aki Ross. Because mm. Aki Ross, at the time, and perhaps even now, is one of the most detailed and time-consuming characters ever developed in a 3D space. Her model, at the time, consisted of 400,000 polygons, uh, something that has certainly been surpassed by modern CGI. Uh, I know right. some of the characters in Transformers, uh, some of the really big ones, mm-hmm. apparently surpassed 17 million polygons. Right. But like, if you compare that to uh, you know video games nowadays, which granted are you know have to be rendered in real time, it's kind of a different thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Noctis in Final Fantasy XV is 120,000 polygons. Now, it's it's a ton at the time, is what I'm trying to point out. Mm-hmm. Right. What's more, though, is that Not a whole lot of, like, renderware or middleware was used at this time. Partially because a lot of it hadn't been developed. Like, some was developed during this production. Um, There is a uh, skin texturing middleware that uh, Square developed to help make the skin look more realistic on everybody. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, everything had to be hand-done. And this includes the 50,000 strands of hair that are on her head that had to be manipulated by hand... (laughs) Yeah. Now, these were all being rendered on Pentium 3s at the time, and appa- like I think it was something like 900 workstations? Mm. Uh, and her hair alone apparently took one and a half hours to render on average. Each scene took roughly about seven hours. Each frame of animation,
2: <sighs> of which I
0: believe there's over 100,000, took right. seven hours on average, which should tell you how intense of a model this character had. You combine that with, once again, the lack of middleware or renderware technology Mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that everything on her, her her eyes, her clothing, everything was handmade, hand-manipulated. You could totally see why they're like, we don't want to throw this away for the next movie. This needs to be repurposed. right? And so the idea of a digital actress came along. It's like, yeah, we'll just... Like maybe there'll be like little minor touch-ups here and there, but you know, next movie will also feature Aki Ross. She'll just be playing somebody else. Maybe she won't mm-hmm. be the main character. Maybe she will be like the villain or something.
2: Right.
1: Uh, I-, I was unclear. Was the actor going to have a different name from the character?
2: Uh, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. The the character would be like like if Aki Ross were going to be in like another movie, uh, she would be. Playing another character that wouldn't necessarily be named Aki Ross, but she would be credited as Aki Ross, okay. played by Mingwei Lin.
1: Right. Okay. So her her first role would just have her name. Yes. And then okay.
2: Yes. It, it's
0: really, really strange.
1: Yeah. Which. So, uh, mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. It's it is such an insane idea. So. A lot of attention and detail went into into Aki's uh, creation. Sakaguchi himself obviously had a lot of input. Uh, like event, like at first she was like a, like almost looked a little too much like a supermodel, so like they kind of like dulled her facial mm-hmm. features a little bit to make her look more natural, and whatnot. Right. Uh, they wanted her to like be taken seriously as a scientist, which is what she's playing in this car- in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, which of course means as part of the promotional materials, uh, she appeared in maxim magazine the uh saddest general gentleman's magazine
1: mm-hmm. yep yep that'll that'll get her taken seriously well mm-hmm. done
0: yeah as one of uh her of one of the 87 the 87 out of 100th uh, sexiest women of 2001 uh she's in a bikini in that issue yep uh and there's a detail behind the scenes of how they render that model that i was able to find which mm-hmm. why uh <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah um yeah, so needless to say, she was being, she was being portrayed as a sex symbol, regardless of whether or not they intended to or not.
1: It really is a video game movie.
0: It really is, yes. And so, yeah, a ton of work went into making this character. Now, I, this level of detail is not going to extend to every other model. Like, most of the main cast is going to get this level, but, like, characters mm-hmm. in the background and whatnot, like, you'll see, right. like, running away. Once again, everything is done by hand.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like... When like the main characters are moving, it's very realistic and it's very, very well done. Background characters are like, "Oh, <laughs> you look kind of like a doll a little bit <laughs>
1: <laughs> A trend that will continue all the way to fall fantasy seven remake hmm exactly,
0: exactly, you know it's they're far away, you don't have to pay attention yeah
1: don't don't worry about them
0: yeah, so needless to say this this process of making this movie meant it took four years for it to finally come together. There were multiple cost overruns. Uh, its budget originally was going to be 70 million. Oh. Uh, mm. It looks like they share that square, ended up putting in roughly about 107 million. Columbia Pictures, who, by the way, their last animated feature they put out was the Care Bears movie in the 1980s. Uh, okay. Uh, that was also a flop. Uh, <laughs> put in 30 million for uh, marketing. That was, that was included in on the total budget, which is a little little atypical when calculating mm. movie budgets. Yeah, you say huge cost overruns to the point that when it came out, it well, the idea of it making back its money was kind of laughable from the beginning.
1: Yeah. Upon
0: its release in North America, the movie was met with well critical savagery. Let's call it. <laughs> a lot of it focused on the fact that while technically it was a masterpiece mm-hmm. the plot was let's call it uh, impossible to follow
2: uh mm. stilted
0: i uh, i've heard it described as just an action set piece after action set piece right things would just happen in the movie and then be poorly explained uh right and he i mean he even has like writing trends in there where they'll go like as you know aki the spirits project
1: right like, the, yeah, yeah forced an exposition
0: yeah everything about this movie's writing just did not come off well at all now there was also a special focus play, placed on aki as well and her portrayal some reviewers actually thought she was incredibly well done and lifelike i uh, mm-hmm. others said that she gives the kind of an uncal- uncanny valley sort of look to her her mm. eyes appear a little dead but uh, i don't agree with this after rewatching the movie, but I will definitely say that, like, some closest on her, like, skin and whatnot Mm -hmm. do not look right. Right. Uh, And, of course, there are definitely some background elements and whatnot. Like, once again, you'll, like, extras running in the background from, like, burning buildings and whatnot Mm -hmm. that don't look right at all. Like, they they definitely look like reboot-esque quality. (laughs) Uh, One person who was, like, pretty much, uh, like, all in on this movie was Roger Debert. Roger Debert felt Mm -hmm. it was a was an absolute masterpiece, and where movies could go from. Like he felt it was like a major breakthrough for cinema. Right. And in many ways it kind of was like, it could show that you could do theoretically lifelike uh, CGI in, in animated movies, or at least get very close to it. Mm-hmm. Like it seemed like it would be a very important stepping stone for them. But yeah. once again, that was just not to be, the movie was an incredible flop. Uh, earning only roughly about $87 million at the box office. Uh, doing bad both in Japan and in the United States although hmm. interestingly enough it did well in Australia. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, Australia and New Zealand uh huh. both apparently um it outperformed basically everything else there, which is interesting. Um and yeah, with it Square Pictures essentially ceased to exist as an entity. Oh man. Now they were kept open as like a support studio for a couple years. But after mm. uh, 2003, they were just completely shuttered entirely. Uh, Sakaguchi himself would enter a great state of depression after this movie came out. Um, yeah, uh, He explained that he felt like the failure was essentially on him, which, not completely wrong. Right. He definitely it, shares it, it, blame.
1: Yeah, there, there's definitely blame to go around, but mm. he's not without it.
0: Yeah, certainly, certainly. And he basically stepped back from Square at this point, uh, he would remain with the company for two more years, but he actually would not do anything. Mm. Uh, he agreed with, to have his name be put on as executive producer for, like, Final Fantasy games going forward. Mm-hmm. But in 2003, he formally left, and his last credit he has is Final Fantasy X-2, a game he had zero involvement in. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, he's since, you know, recovered, and he's mm-hmm. doing fine now. He formed his own company, Mistwalker, that's still putting yep. out games to this day. He's, he's doing fine for himself now.
1: Yeah, which, like, I like to see that.
0: Yeah, I like to see that too, because I, I have no ill will to this guy. Either. Yeah, same. Uh, Square itself would end up in financial trouble with this, as you can imagine. Uh, yeah. There's, of course, a story of going on that the merger between them and another major RPG publisher in Japan, Enix, uh, happened mm-hmm. because of this movie. Uh, the exact opposite is true. <laughs> they were yeah. In, they were in talks to merge before the movie came out, largely because Square was in a very strong financial position. Mm-hmm. Then the movie came out, flopped. <laughs> Square was uh, kind of teetering there a little bit, and Enix was like, I don't know if we want to merge with this company. They, did not, <laughs> they might take us down with them. Yeah. Things end- eventually ended up getting settled and in 2003. They, those two companies merged, forming Square Enix, which exists today. Mm-hmm. Uh, S- Square itself actually does not exist. Enix took over as the managing partner in that company. Hmm. Although um, Miyamoto... Uh, he is the, uh, he did retain, um, the largest majority shareholder in the company. So I guess in, in some ways, Square still continues on. Yeah. So with that, Alex, I think we should talk about the plot of Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Should we? No, but we're going to anyways. <laughs> so Alex, to start with, this movie takes place in, tw- in 2065. Uh, we're not really told, uh, That directly, we just see it on a view screen at one point. So that's how we Mm. can set it. And it opens with Aki Ross, our main character, our lady, having a dream on an alien planet where she sees basically these like alien monsters with like gun arms, like kind of like running towards her. She then freaks out, wakes up, and we find out it's a nightmare. And she's floating in space. And one of the first really, really good scenes. Every scene mm. that takes place in space with, like, her hair just, like, flowing around and whatnot, right. and, like, her moving around is incredibly well done. and it looks it's, really, really good.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. And it is one of those things that, like, actually serves to convince you that, oh, yeah, like, CGI movies kind of have a purpose because, uh-huh. like, it would be really, really hard to shoot these scenes in live action.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, it was possible, but you had you had to get NASA's approval, and you had to do right. it in seven-minute intervals. Like, yeah.
1: Just incredibly, like, technically difficult to achieve. Mm-hmm. But, like, with CGI, you can just do whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And it looked so, so good. Yeah. And so we learned that Aki is in space because she is searching for the spirits. So, it... And it turns out she's found a spirit in the ruins of New York. So she lands in New York in her spaceship and whatnot. And uh, mm. you s- New York, by the way, looks like a cross between Midgar from Final Fantasy VII and mm-hmm. every destroyed city in the <laughs> Matrix. Like I looked at this in a like, right. this is a Matrix-ass setting right here. Yeah, Which would make sense. This came out two years after it. Mm-hmm. And Aki is like walking around. She's trying to find this spirit. But it turns out there is these weird orange alien spirits that are following her around, like they're like snake-like or like weird Mm -hmm. humanoid-looking things. And it turns out they do not like people because they immediately try to attack Aki. But luckily for her, a bunch of soldiers just like fly out, like jump out of a helicopter, like goo gun their way down, like they shoot like goo out of the guns and landed it, and they just immediately Mm -hmm. start blasting these alien spirits. And it turns out they're from the U.S. Army. And so, like, they tried to arrest Aki, but she's like, no, I need to do my mission. I need to get the spirit here. And so they reluctantly, like, follow her along while there's an actually pretty well-done action sequence of them Mm. basically shooting ghosts with their ghost guns. So Aki finally finds the spirit, and it turns out this spirit is a plant, one of the last living things that's growing in New York. So she collects it. uh, They immediately get uh, exfiltrated out of there, and they go to the barrier city of New York. So it turns out, in the future, what happened is that a piece of a meteorite slammed into the Earth. And when it hit the Earth, basically all these spirits came out and they immediately just started killing people. And by killing people, it's like, if their spirit touches yours, mm-hmm. uh, it, well, if it touches your body, it rips your spirit out and they just absorb it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Which uh, then leaves your lifeless husk behind and you just die. So, needless to say, all the entire world got in completely messed up and the only reason that people are able to live is that they live in these barrier cities uh these barrier cities were created by a doctor who is Aki Ross's mentor by the name of dr sid uh spelled s-i-d and one of the few final fantasy references that are actually in this game
1: right i don't now, know why they didn't spell it c-i-d but that's fine
0: yeah i'm not really sure either so Dr. Sid is basically a genius who has invented everything from the barriers that keep the aliens out mm-hmm. to the, their way to actually see the spears in the first place. Like they have like special flare guns or like flashlights that could like see the ghosts mm-hmm. as well as the guns that actually can destroy the ghosts. So like he's basically the entire reason why anybody is alive ever. Mm-hmm. So they all arrive back and you have to get scared, um, Aki and the uh, rest of the team that rescued her. Who immediately are like, "You really messed up. You got us all in trouble." And Aki's like, "Hey, I got to do my job. What's it to you?" And then, like, the captain of the group takes his his helmet off, and he is Gray Edwards, played by Alec Baldwin, uh, in a performance that I would call uh, vaguely sleepwalky and also <laughs> reminiscent of Kaden Alenko from Mass Effect.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not wrong.
0: <laughs> like to the point that I was. convinced that uh, he was actually played by his voice actor. And I had to look (laughs) it up later. Uh, So it turns out that Aki and Gray had a bit of a thing going on. They were romantically involved, but that Aki just one day disappeared. And Gray's been hurt this entire time. Now, Gray leads a squad called the Deep Eyes, which consists of Ryan Whitaker, played by Vin Rames, Neil Fleming, played by Steve Buscemi. He is the (laughs) uh, comedic person Mm -hmm. in this group, and he is not funny. Yep. And Jane Proudfoot, played by Perry Glipland, who uh,
1: I'm not sure what else she's been in. Um, yeah, it does not sound familiar.
0: Hmm. Of a lot of television shows, it looks like. Okay. Uh, mostly, mostly doing voice roles. Hmm.
1: Okay, so an actual voice actor. It looks like it, yes. Wow. Huh. How novel.
0: How novel, right? <laughs> So they get back. Let's get back into Barrier City. They're all having to get scanned to make sure that they're not infected with the alien, the alien spirit. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that Gray ended up getting aliened, essentially. Oh. So he has to be put on like a table and rescued by Aki, who uses basically future surgery to save him. Right. Uh, which of course immediately endears Gray back in back towards Aki. They're like, uh-huh. no, he's he's totally one hundred percent on board with her again. Mm-hmm. So. She goes back and meets up with Sid. And is like, hey, I found the the spirit. It's great, yay! You no, know, like, Sid though is a little worried because the council uh, is getting uh, a little bit impatient with the fact that they haven't dealt with the alien spirits. So there's a big giant meeting. I'm where, sorry, they're getting
1: ahead. impatient that oh, you haven't dealt with this planet-eating threat that has nearly wiped out the human race. Why haven't you dealt with that yet?
0: Yeah, right? Hey, man, who's the entire reason we're alive? Why aren't you? Why Fix haven't it. you fixed this yet? <laughs> yeah, this movie is very unreasonable with the expectations placed on Dr. Sid. <laughs> and to be fair, a lot of this is because the military, which is evil, uh, uh-huh. is pushing back against him. So they go to this uh, leadership meeting where uh, the council, which is run by um, an unnamed council member played by Keith David. In his most Keith David voice he could possibly do. <laughs> Where the general, whose name is Douglas Hine, he's played by James Wood, uh, he mm. is determined to use a space laser called the Zeus Cannon in order to destroy the meteorite and destroy all the spirits.
1: Why was it not called the Ramu Cannon?
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> Final fa- Or the Bahama Cannon or something. The Megaflare. Yeah,
1: something. Come on. You've got a whole like roster of these guys to pull from.
0: So one of the big criticisms of this movie from Final Fantasy fans is that Mm. it barely tied back to Final Fantasy at all. Right. Which is something that's not completely true, because a lot of the themes here are basically shared with Final Fantasy VII. But yeah, it's stuff like this.
1: Like, I can see a version of this plot that is a Final Fantasy game, specifically a PS1 Final Fantasy game.
0: Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're going to get into the video game plot of this in a second. Oh, boy. When we get to the main conceit, but... Yeah, so General Hine, who is, like, very, very condescending towards Dr. Sid, he's like, oh, what are you going to do? you Are going to just do your stupid little plan? His stupid (laughs) little plan, by the way, is to gather eight different spirits that, when combined together, will create a wave that will nullify the alien spirits and basically cause them to be good or disappear or
1: something? Yeah,
0: sure. And, like, the reason why uh, Dr. Sid believes this is because he believes in something called Gaia theory. Gaia theory being that the planet is alive, essentially, mm-hmm. which when uh, General Hine brings up, is like, oh, yeah, because you believe in your Gaia theory, which is ridiculous. And mm-hmm. Dr. Sid very petulantly is like, no, it is true. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a really it's a really bad line read that I love. Yeah. But yeah, so the council is about to be like, I guess we should use the Zeus cannon because this other planet's taking too long. Uh, there's no And there's no guarantee that this wave will stop it. And Aki's mm-hmm. like, no, I can guarantee it will work. And they're like, how? It's like, because I've been infected with a spirit, and we have six of the spirits, and using them, I've contained the evil spirit inside of me. And they go, oh, what? <laughs> That's bad? Good? Bad? We're not sure. We're, mm. Anyways, we're going to give you more time. <laughs> <laughs> so... General Hine is like, he goes, He like acquiesces to this, but he's like, hey, uh, he assigns another team to follow the deep eyes and to keep an eye on Ross, and also tells Gray to be like, hey, she's been potentially compromised by the enemy. If she does anything weird, you need to arrest her and bring her in. So it, this is where the main conceit of the game comes in. It turns out we're halfway into the save file, essentially because they have already collected six of the spirits, and they need to collect eight spirits in total. And so they have to now go to various different locations to find them. And like, Aki's already done a lot of that. Like, she found one in space. She found one in Moscow. <laughs> the fifth one, which is the saddest one, was from a little girl who was dying, and she managed to get the spirit from her before she died. Probably asking yourself, how do they get spirits? Excellent question. They never really
1: say. Yep, moving on. Moving on. Even though they just got a spirit on screen mm-hmm. at the start of the movie, yep. it's still unclear.
0: It's still unclear. She just hands that plant to Doctor Sin and go. Great job, Aki. Anyways, the next one is in Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> wow,
1: what a what a pick. I know when I
0: saw when I saw Tucson, uh, the Tucson wasteland like mm-hmm. pop up, I was like, no, you, you no, you're not, you're not going to Tucson. <laughs> oh my god they're in tucson <laughs> Yep. so yeah um gray is like okay yeah no i'm totally on board with Yaki. we're going to help you find these spirits like i don't completely believe in gaia theory but this seems like our best option and of course like his team also like sabotages the lift that they're in so that they can have like one-on-one time that almost ends in a kiss and whatnot mm-hmm. it's yeah, very romantic absolutely. uh so they go to tucson and with um deep eyes aki and another unnamed team sent by you know uh general Hine. so they land there and like as they're walking around they see like one sign of life which is a a hawk that's flying around Mm -hmm. Uh, and aki's like yeah life is finally returning and once we do this like all life will return it will be great
1: wait how is life returning nothing's been made better
0: i have no idea but a hawk (laughs) still exists
1: okay I feel like that hawk was probably already there and just got lucky and didn't get eaten by ghosts yet.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, I was about to say it's because ghosts can't fly, but actually that's not true. No, they, all, yeah, they
1: can. They super can.
0: All the ghosts in this actually can fly. Yeah. So they find the next spirit, which is in like the power pack of this dead soldier. Uh, mm. it, it turns out like this was the site of a giant battle where humanity just landed in Tucson and just fought the ghosts for reasons that's never sure. explained. And then they all got massacred. And it turns out uh, a big reason why they got massacred is because this place is just filled with giant ghosts. <laughs> like, incredibly giant ghosts. Very big ghosts. Mm-hmm. And the ghosts start just messing up everybody, uh, except for the Deep Eyes. Right. And, like, Aki at this point, like, collapses because it turns out, like, the barrier that's around her spirit is weakening. And so, like, she has to be, like, carried back to the uh, to the helicopter that they are all on. Mm-hmm. And, like, they take off, and they barely manage to escape the ghosts and whatnot. But, like, Grey, like, refuses to, like, take her in. He's like, you know, I'm not gonna take her in quite yet. You know, we just gotta get back and you know, get the spirit around th- your other spirits. The, the spirit we just got, the, the seventh spir- one. Yeah, the,
1: the spirit will spirit things.
0: Yeah, it'll, it'll make it so that the evil alien spirit will take you over. I'm saying spirit so many times, my god. Yeah. So, he's, and, like, once again, you know, totally in love with her again. So, he doesn't want to arrest her. Mm-hmm. Uh the other team members, though, um, that are sent to keep an eye on him and the Deep Eyes are like, they just pull out guns like, hey, you all are under arrest. And what happens, it leads to a fight where somehow the pilot um, manages to, like, turn like the helicopter ways that you like, would just like barely scrape a ghost and, like, ghost out the spirits mm-hmm. of all the, of the evil military people there. <laughs> and so they eventually all do that and um, get back to New York. And upon landing in New York, like, Sid manages to, um, you know, insert the Seventh Spirit into Aki, which, you know, stabilizes her. And we're like, oh, man, okay, well, that's great. We just need to find the last spirit. And once we find the last spirit, everything's going to be great. Except, unfortunately, General Hines shows up and is like, hey, you're all under arrest because you literally just, you know, violated orders and, you know, you're in danger, all that good stuff. So, um, also, we're confiscating all your research. And, yeah, just have fun with that. Go to jail, everybody. So that's exactly what happens. They all get sent to jail. Now, during this time, though, uh, General Hine is like, this is taking too long. The council still wants to go with this stupid plan, which is incredibly stupid. They should go with my plan, the space laser plan, because the space laser plan is great. Uh, I should point out that the space laser plan was debated by Dr. Sid as not as being something that was actually going to be bad for the planet, because one, it could damage the planet. Mm Mm-hmm. And two, the last time they bombed the meteor, it just made, like, even more powerful spirits rise.
1: Ah, I feel like that's a good reason not to hit it with a space laser.
0: Oh, yeah, but the the general disagrees. Mm. And in order to convince the council to go space laser plan, what they're going to do is they're going to let a few of the evil spirits in by weakening the shield in a in a key part of the barrier— and then they'll just turn it back on. They'll defeat the spirits and they'll be like, hey, man, listen, Shit, this is only a matter of time before they get through this barrier. We should do something. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, this goes very, very badly because they weaken it uh, at, the, at the core. And all the ghosts come in. Uh, they overwhelm the central control tower, destroy it, uh, kill everybody in there except for the general. Who's mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, what have I done? And then he like, runs off. And so the barrier goes completely down, the city gets completely invaded by uh, a bunch of spirits who just start immediately murdering the most puppet-looking people you've ever seen. Mm -hmm. This is the scene that has definitely not aged well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Which is unfortunate, because it was like the scene that comprises like half of every trailer.
0: It is, yeah. It's in every major trailer, and it takes up a large portion of the movie, too. It this section in Escaping the Destroying Remains of New York mm-hmm. is uh is not a short scene. No. So uh because like the all the power went out, the the laser barriers that were keeping our, our heroes in uh ends up uh, ends up going away. So Dr. Sid alongside all the Deep Eyes and Aki immediately get into like a cool car and like start driving away mm-hmm. uh while like all the Alien spirits are just basically just eating people. Essentially, like they will literally rip out the spirit and they just eat the spirit, and it's like horrifying looking. I-, I gotta say, like the alien spirits are actually kind of horrifying in a way.
1: Yeah, no, they're they're legitimately like they're they're pretty strong, like cosmic horror, cosmic mm. metaphysical horror element.
0: They totally are, and like while they haven't aged too particularly well in this film, they are mm. effective. They definitely are effective. Yeah, and so. As, uh, as they are escaping and whatnot, you know, they're like, shooting aliens and, like, doing sick ramps and whatnot, they eventually decide, hey, we need to get to Aki's ship. We get to Aki's ship, we can fly out there, we can go into space, we can scan the Earth and find the Eighth Spirit. And so, like, they do, like, a sick-ass jump into, um, into the hangar where Aki's impounded ship is. And, like, they immediately crash, and unfortunately, uh, Vin Rame's character uh, ends up getting impaled. And they're like, oh no, that's bad. He's like, no, don't worry, just give me a gun. They're like, oh yeah, we can just get my <laughs> ship. I can get stuff to cut them out and stabilize them. It's like, okay, we'll just go do that. So Gray goes up to like, you know, open up the control tower. Uh, Aki and Sid go into the ship to get it ready. And the two other members of the Deep Eyes uh, go to like basically take off the car boot that's on there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, this goes poorly for everybody. The spirits rise up. Uh, he immediately starts murdering everybody. Like all your favorite team members die. Mm-hmm. Uh, in heroic last stands. Uh, Vin Rame's character basically blows up an elephant, a, an alien elephant. No, it's right. cool. And Gray's like, hey, listen, Aki, Sid, just get out of here. I'm going to hold them off. Don't worry about coming back for me. And Aki's like, no, Grey, I need you. <laughs> and Gray's like, nah, heroic last stand. And so Aki flies away, only to come back at the last minute and pick them up, and they all fly off into space. So... It makes no sense it makes no sense <laughs> so they're all up in space and whatnot and mm-hmm. you know uh you know they have like a nice heart to heart where like gray's like really really down on the fact that his entire team is dead and uh, aki cries because she feels like it's all her fault and of course they embrace they kiss um mm-hmm. and a kiss that's actually really well done like it's yeah. lit incredibly well it looks really good i was like huh that's a really good scene it's aged well good on you square yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's it's only a little bit undermined by the fact that Final Fantasy X would do it better shortly yeah. thereafter, but you know.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, Final Fantasy X is a classic for the ages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was meant to be a joke, but it actually isn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it
1: actually is kind of true.
0: <laughs> so... They're all like, okay, let's scan this A-Spirit, the Earth, and find this eighth spirit And Sid has this brilliant idea. It's like, we scanned everywhere. We can't find an A-Spirit that like, matches the waveform that we need. But there was one place we haven't checked, the Meteor. And so they scan the Meteor, and they find that one of the alien spirits contains the same wavelength as the eighth spirit And they're like, oh, well, rad. We'll just go down there and get it.
1: How do they know what wavelengths the spirits are supposed to have?
0: I don't know. They never explain. <laughs> like many things in this movie, they yeah. just don't bother. So this is, once again, this movie has so many parallels to Final Fantasy VII. A mm-hmm. meteor have to go to, that's going to be essentially the final dungeon. Right. Getting all these MacGuffins, Gaia Theory, mm-hmm. a realistic world. Very, this movie might as well just, they might as well just be like, we're adapting Final Fantasy VII. Right. It probably
1: would have gone better probably yeah Prob. well advent children exists. i don't know
0: uh advent children was so cool when i washed <laughs> it over over somebody else's so- shoulder at yeah. in the commons at my at my college yeah for five minutes yeah <laughs> but um but yeah they're like hey Oak, we found this we should go down there and grab it and i graze like we're gonna die if we do that right and everyone else is like yeah probably and are like, well, how are we going to, like, make this happen then? Like, and Sid's like, well, we'll just get the Ace Spirit. We'll combine them. And, uh, yeah. And Gray's like, and what? Like, and Sid's like, well, then the- we wait. <laughs> and Gray's like, this is a terrible plan! <laughs> <laughs> That's literally how that scene goes, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but Gray's like, well, I guess we got nothing better to do, so sure, why not? However, during this time, Hein has also escaped, and he's in space. And, like, he's, like, he has a gun. He has it against his head. He's, like, I'm about to shoot myself. But then he does, he realizes he's approaching the Zeus cannon. He's, like, I have a better idea. <laughs> Goes into the Zeus cannon, like, meets the staff and whatnot, and then he contacts the council members who have escaped. Unfortunately, they escaped to a hell even worse than the, you know, hellscape that is Tucson or just the entire world in general. Mm. Uh, they escaped to the barrier city of Houston.
1: Oh, unfortunate
0: very unfortunate and he's like hey i guess um this just bruised we need to use the zeus cannon and uh keith david is like yeah you probably should do that go ahead i'm gonna send you the transfer codes and so aki hears about this is like immediately gets in contact with uh with general heinz like hey listen 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 don't do that if you do that you're gonna damage the earth there's also the a spirit down there you're gonna kill the a spirit by the way I've been still having those weird dreams, and also Grey somehow ended up in one of those dreams with me. <laughs> uh, it was during her procedure to get the right. other spirit inserted into her. I forgot about that scene, but right. Oh yeah, that's right. But it turns out they are able to together. They were able to piece out what her dreams are about. You see, she knows the aliens' origins now. The planet she was on was in the midst of a giant war between two factions that got nuked to death. Got nuked so hard the planet exploded, and the planet's core shot out landed on the Earth, taking with it all the spirits and whatnot. And when it landed, all those spirits, filled with anger and hate, just lashed out at anything living. And so that's the reason why if they use the Earth's energy, it will just n- nullify because the Earth is good, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, oh, classic square. Right? But if they use the laser, it will damage the Earth, and you might not be able to use its energy anymore.
1: Right, because mankind made the laser, and the things mankind makes are evil, but the things that the Earth makes are good. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. They have one story. They do. Square has one story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> have you ever thought about humanity and pollution? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they have exactly one story here. It's great. <laughs> to be repeated ad nauseum in Final Fantasy Ten. Oh, so, yeah, uh, Cat, uh, General Hines like, ha, I don't oh, believe God, you. Oh, God, you're
1: right. If yeah. We, if we just sing at the nukes, they'll go away.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, it, it worked in Macross. It's fine.
1: Yeah. yo, oh, yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> Japan has one story. <laughs> Japan has one
0: story. Oh... So, you yeah, had General Hines like, this is stupid. This is a Western movie. We don't believe in that. Yeah. <laughs> and so he fires the laser, destroying the Eighth Spirit, and of course, causing really, really bad things to happen. Even more powerful spirits to come out with tentacles and whatnot. Right. And so Dr. Sid's like, oh, I guess it's lost. Like, they were about to, like, descend down there and collect it. But, like, mm. the little rover that Aki and Gray are in gets separated from the ship, and they're like, they're now, like, inside of the crater. And then Aki like looks down. And she sees like the core of the Earth and like the three, the blue goo that's in there. That is the spirit of Gaia. She's uh-huh. like, "Wait, no, I got it now. The Ace spirit wasn't an alien. It was the Earth all along." Ah, because they see one of the alien spirits touched the Earth and it became imbued with it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, yeah,
0: sure. yeah. So they figure out, okay, well, if, like basically, we get like Earth juice essentially. Mm-hmm. Then we'll have the eighth spirit yeah
1: yeah okay
0: yeah, fine perfect but um unfortunately uh general hind is like nah keep firing a can just keep doing it <laughs> you're probably asking yourself how do they survive this yeah and the answer is bit. unclear because like it destroys their like little pod and whatnot but
2: mm-hmm.
0: but oh yeah their, their little pod they're gonna overload the shields on their pod and that's how they're gonna distribute the a-spirit i forgot there you okay go. yes right uh but yeah, like it, uh, it destroys their little ship. So like, oh no, we can't do this anymore. We have all eight spirits, but we can't just dest- put it in the, the, the evil machine, th- God, the God spirit thing.
1: Right. Which but is now, however we were going to do it, we can't do that anymore.
0: And now it's also infecting Gaia itself because the tentacles have gone to the earth and it's turned the blue goo into orange goo. But then Gray's like, I have a plan. It's like, oh, give me your hand. Cause all eight spirits are now in Aki. Right, and he's like, "I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hold on to you. I'm going to touch the spirit. My spirit's gonna go into its spirit, and it's going to distribute the cure."
1: (laughs) This is called writing yourself into a corner. Yes, hundred percent bad to do.
0: (laughs) And he like did it multiple times because at first they're like, "Uh, "Well, we don't know how this is gonna work. Oh, we'll just overload shields." Right. Uh, I'll touch it. And so that's exactly what happens. Grey just touches it. His spirit flies up into it and it blows up the alien. And like basically like blue snow like rises into the air and like apparently it feels warm and like Sid's like super happy. And as uh, he lifts Aki uh, out with the like the ship and whatnot out of the crater, she holds like uh, Gray's lifeless body looking all sad as the sun rises over the Caspian mountains. And that's the movie. That is Final Fantasy. The Spirits Within. Ah. One thing I didn't point out is how all the voice acting in this is just absolutely... I think I actually have pointed out how it's all stilted and how it just seems like there wasn't a whole lot of voice direction done in this.
1: It's because they didn't hire voice actors and yeah, they probably didn't have the best voice direction staff because American or Western voice acting was really in... I guess not its infancy, because we'd been doing it, but, like, it hadn't reached the level of sophistication it's at today.
2: Yeah, no. Like, not...
1: early 2000s was when it really started to become serious, mm-hmm. and it was it was very stop and start in that process.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, uh, like, there's definitely the the few exceptions here, like, you know, the Batman animated series, for instance, mm-hmm. had very good voice direction, but. Right. But yeah, uh, it definitely doesn't seem like a whole lot of that was done here.
1: Right. Uh, And like, if you don't have really good voice directing, um, it's really hard for people who aren't used to voice acting, who are just like screen actors, to do voice acting, because it's an entirely different skill set.
0: It is. It really, really is. And it's funny how this is a mistake that's still made to this day, it turns out.
1: Turns out.
0: Uh, it's great. You figure they've learned by now. But yeah, like it's upon rewatching this movie, like I was still taken by the visuals. There are some mm-hmm. scenes that, once again, have not aged well. There are some that have aged incredibly well. Mm-hmm. But like one thing I just definitely did not pick up on when I was first like watching this when I was 14, because obviously I'm not looking at this from much of a critical eye. But, mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, like, it's plot, just, it is literally a video game plot of, like, well, here's an action set piece, and that's just going to set up the next thing, and here's an action set piece, he's going to set up the next thing, there's eight MacGuffins you have to find, Uh, like, it's, it is the, it's trying to not be the most video game movie out there, and it ends up being the most video game movie out there, it's the most video game.
1: Right, because, again, like, Sakaguchi wrote this, right? He at least or did no. the outline, yeah. He, he did the outline. And, like, this is what he knows.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, it makes perfect is,
1: sense. Yeah. And, like, the I think the biggest, maybe the biggest, because, again, I can see the version of this that is a PS1 Final Fantasy. Oh, totally. But that version is also, like, 30 to 50 hours long. hmm And, like, this just, even if it's taking itself too seriously, one, but also it just doesn't have the time to work.
0: No, it really does it. Like this is a movie that needs two other movies. It needs to be like a trilogy. Yeah. like it needs, yeah. it needs more setup. So you're not having to do things like, as you know, Akita Spirits. Mm-hmm. We need them. One was a little girl that was in mm-hmm. one of the original drafts, but she got written out. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really, really unfortunate how this movie is written. And honestly, another thing that's unfortunate is, like I was looking up to see like if it won any awards because you think this would be up for like some sort of technical word in the oscars right. or anything like that but it wasn't it, it didn't get nominated right. at all uh it did win um a prize at the japanese media arts festival uh, mm. but it got nominated for everything else like um and it's stuff like the saturn awards for best dvd special edition release <laughs> <laughs> what the? <laughs> which that's not a prize stop that no or um, the stinker award for worst screenplay for a film grossing more than $100 million worldwide using Hollywood math, which it didn't even win that. Right. Which, I don't even know what the stinker awards are, but it's here in this Wikipedia article I have open. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. don't... Oh, they don't exist anymore. Uh, oh, gee. Yeah. Amazing. Their, their trophy was a toilet that's wrapped in film. Cool. They seem like they'd be very, very obnoxious anyways,
1: <laughs> yeah, boy, the late nineties were a time in comedy, God weren't they though
0: but yeah like there's i like, I'm glad this movie exists
1: yeah, ultimately,
0: yeah, like this is a movie that if i I will say one thing, like there was a lot of like reviews at the time that were like, well, this movie is kind of boring in uh-huh. in many ways it it is like just like yeah. the way it's, like prop plot progression is and whatnot and just like mm-hmm. How all over the place it is, but like everything around it from its development to what goes on in it to like how like the direction of Square is going to take after this. Like it's mm. it's a very formative sort of movie in many ways.
1: Yeah, like, definitely. It is definitely one of the most interesting mm-hmm. video game movies.
0: Yeah. Like there's a reason why I selected this over the Super Mario Brothers movie. Mm hmm uh because we are gonna probably do other movies
2: by the way yeah
1: yeah i can imagine oh boy some of those have plots
0: oh my god indeed do they but yeah like yeah this is um it it's such a weird thing it's such a weird thing and i one thing i will say is that while this i was about to be like oh man it's too bad that aki ross the digital actress would not find another role but she actually did
1: mm. yeah did you know this feel like i heard about this but i can't remember
0: yeah um so square pictures or i guess the successor to square pictures uh ended up doing the final flight of the osiris for the wachowskis
2: oh right Party and matrix
0: and right, right their demo reel for that was having aki ross fight um one of the machines Hmm. yeah and it was it was uh successful enough uh that they went yeah no you should do this so yeah she had at least one other role before being retired right and mm. never spoken of again. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think the only real official way that Squares ever really talked about it is in the awesome game from Don't, no- uh, Don't Nod, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Life is Strange, where the main character Max Caulfield, uh, when you observe a TV, says, "That is a delicious. Uh, that is a delicious plasma." Oh my god! And it, freaking be-
1: French people writing pacific northwestern teenagers is the cringiest thing ever
0: oh it's so great i god i love life is strange so much oh
1: max yeah. caulfield would like spirits within
0: she does she says i don't care what anybody says it's one of the uh-huh. best sci-fi movies ever made And i'm like hell yeah
1: and you're like yeah that tracks
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah other than that i don't think this has ever come up i mean it may may have there's a million final fantasy products out there
1: there's a uh, in Final Fantasy XIV. One of the jobs gets an ability called Spirits Within. Great. That's the great. one that lives in my mind.
0: I, I would expect <laughs> her to show up in all the bravest, but no, I guess not.
1: No, that's that would that would have been great, actually.
0: <laughs> or whatever that Final Fantasy, a Brave Exodus, I think it was the one that there's, had Ariana there's Grande. A hundred
1: of them. Yeah, there's
0: there's too many. There's too many of them. But yeah, uh, it's been. It's been kind of wiped from collective memory as far as Square is concerned. Although you, yeah. you, you can still rent this. I rented this from YouTube for five bucks. You can too. If you want to watch this movie.
1: <laughs> yeah, like credit to Square. They haven't like erased it from existence. Mm-hmm. Like they, they've sort of gotten to a point where they take it in stride. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally.
0: But yeah, that's, uh, that's Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. Alex, do you have any other thoughts?
1: One of my favorite things about this movie is that its existence was clearly, like, it clearly owes its existence to Final Fantasy VII's success.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Final Fantasy VII was a game who, for their uh, North American marketing, ran a series of commercials, uh, primarily during, uh, I think at the time it was like WWF Smackdown or Raw? I forget. Mm. Uh, but it was basically a series of commercials touting the incredible CGI cutscenes uh, with the tagline that it is the most incredible blockbuster that won't be coming to theaters.
0: Oh, yeah, I remember those. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: maybe <laughs> they should have kept to that.
0: Maybe they should have. I don't know. Sakaguchi has been on the record saying that this could not be made into a video game, mm. which is a lie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, to be f- well, okay, to be fair, he said that in the context of like the, the graphics are so realistic that there's no system o- okay, out there, yeah, yeah. which that that is actually true, but yes, yeah, <laughs> nothing else about this could not be translated to a video game. And in fact, yeah. it would work better,
1: probably. Yeah, in, in fact, now I'm trying to think about gee, is there a video game that is just this movie? Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, binary domain, yeah,
0: binary domain probably could. <laughs> could do that yes yeah oh and i guess one last thing this film was actually released in 4k ultra hd uh just last year oh, <laughs> november 2021 wow. Hmm. which How,
1: how's uh how's that hold up
0: i don't know i want to know because hmm. i i looked on it on just a standard hd uh right television set but i mean i imagine it probably doesn't translate well but probably not no but i, hmm. I want to know now yeah interesting <laughs> They have to look into that. But yeah. But yeah, I think that's going to do it for us today. Thank you all for joining us, Alex. Thank you for taking this journey through Final Fantasy The Spirits Within with me. Of course. And of course, if you like episodes like this, you can find more at ftp.podme.com or search through Fallen Through Bloodholes on the podcast services of your choice. Uh, you can, of course, find this movie on any streaming service ever like literally anything that allows you to rent. It's going to be on there. So iTunes, YouTube, et cetera. Just put it into Google, you'll find it. Uh, And, of course, uh, as far as this podcast is concerned, please drop us a review. It really helps to get feedback and to know know how we're doing. So do that. It'd be great. That's going to do it for us. Take care, everybody. Take care.